signals from Proxama Centauri. This is a Paranormal Post edition of the Fedora Chronicles radio show for February 6th, 2021. Jason Cousineau and I, Eric Render King Fisk, discuss the controversy surrounding the alleged radio signals from Proxama Centauri. Two Harvard professors have discussed how visitors from other worlds have visited Earth. And yet another CIA UFO data dump. Jay and I also discuss the consequences for men and women in clandestine services and the psychological effects on their children after years or decades of keeping secrets. The Fedora Chronicles radio show is brought to you by our patrons. Patreon.com slash Fedora Chronicles. For a mere dollar a month, you get early access to the show, show notes, behind the scenes action, and more. Coming soon, patrons will also be eligible for exclusive products and promotional materials. You can also support the Fedora Chronicles radio show and show off your amazing taste and style with new products from Zazzle. Zazzle.com slash Fedora Chronicles. 12.5% of each purchase goes directly into keeping this podcast on the air. The Fedora Chronicles radio show can be heard on all of your favorite podcast platforms, including iTunes, Google Podcast, Stitcher, Overcast, Spotify, Player FM, Castro, and Breaker. If our podcast isn't on your favorite platform, let us know right away and we will pass along a special gift to you as a thank you. Our email address is fedorachronicle at gmail.com or you can reach us on Twitter at Fedora Chronicle. Once again, here's Jason Cousineau and me, Eric Bisk from the Fedora Chronicles. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. So we have so much to talk about. We have so many other things that we wanted to cover. There are a lot of things that um, we have posted on our Facebook group, especially our paranormal group, the Paranormal Post, which I'm hopping to right now really quickly. Harvard physicist, Avi Loeb, who thinks there is a serious possibility that the Anumanu, Amuamua, Nanu Nanu, asteroid slash comet that visited our solar system was an alien spacecraft. And he has a book out talking about all of this and, and, and why the math and the observation makes sense. Th- this is, I think, the second Harvard professor who has gone on a limb and talked about alien visitors. Yeah. And I find it interesting how, you know, when we were kids, anyone even suggesting that there was intelligent life somewhere out in space was sort of rejected out of hand. Yes. And now that is absolutely not the case anymore. So I find that interesting just from that point, but I mean, he's a, what is, what is his job? What does he do? He's a professor at, um, oh, he's a physicist, yes. right? But he's not like an astrophysicist. Not that that I think matters all that much. Yeah. 
because um, a couple of years ago, and when I mean a couple of years ago, I'm talking about um, 12 or 13 years ago, um, Professor John E. Mack from Harvard University was doing a study into people who claim that they were abducted by aliens. And he thought that maybe this is like some kind of a mental disorder. And the more that he, yeah. the more that he looked into it, and I'm, I'm just going to read this little introduction here, a Harvard physicist, oh, another Harvard physicist, the author of A Prince of Our Disorder, presents accounts of alien abduction taken from more than 60 cases he has investigated and examines implications of our identity as a species. And he basically kind of said that uh, there's something more to this. There's some, there's a lot more to this. It's not these crazy people who are saying that they were abducted because they, they, they want attention. As a matter of fact, it's quite the opposite. Most of them don't want the attention. They, they wish that it never happened. Yeah. See, now, this is where, like, you have people like Bob Lazar, right? Yeah. Who, Bob Lazar is clearly very educated and very knowledgeable about certain things. And you can't listen to an interview with him and not pick up on that. Or if you yeah. do, you're not understanding what he's talking about enough to understand that he is knowledgeable. But then he says these things that seem so practically unreasonable. Yeah. They just, they seem so far out there that it's difficult to take too seriously. But at the same time, what if, you know, there's that. That je ne sais quoi, that, that, that element of, I kind of hope this is true. <laughs> right. You know? And I think you and I like to at least try and both entertain the possibility of it while also trying to maintain a certain healthy level of skepticism. You know? Yeah. Because you can't just jump in and say, oh, it's true, he said it. But at the same time, <clears throat> you also don't want to discount it just because... You don't know who the guy is. You don't know what his credentials are. To be honest, half of us wouldn't understand what good credentials from bad credentials are anyway. Right. You and, know, and, so and, how credible does he seem? Uh, let's also kick it up just a notch here, Jay. Mm -hmm. um, for various reasons, you and I want to believe. Yep. You and I want to believe for various reasons. I would like to believe for reasons that are multifaceted is the only word I can I think of right now on an empty stomach and uh, two and a half cups of coffee this morning. On the one hand, I would like to believe that there is other life out there in the universe and that there has to be somebody or a civilization out there that has overcome the problems that we're facing right now. And if they can do it, Maybe we can do it too. Right. I do not want to believe that we are alone in the universe. Because that... If we are alone in the universe and we are the, you know, the, the most advanced, intelligent life in the universe, that's a pretty huge, awesome responsibility. And it's... Uh, it puts us in a very precarious place. Because if we are the best that nature can come up with, well, then nature needs to step up its game, you know? Mm. Um, 
And I also would like to see some people be validated. And I would like to see some people apologize for calling these other people crazy. I don't think that's ever going to happen. People don't apologize for things like that. Yeah. I would like for somebody to say, I'm really sorry for making fun of you for believing that when we were in high school. Or right. I'm, yeah. I, I'm, I'm sorry that I called you retarded when I was your teacher in the sixth grade. I would like to hear that. I doubt I will. I doubt I will hear it. Yeah. Um, but we have two Harvard professors now, at least in my lifetime. And then, of course, there's Paul Horowitz, who is one of the founders of SETI, who are also... Wasn't, he, was, he was a professor as well, right? I believe he was. But he wasn't at Harvard, if I remember correctly. I believe he was at MIT. Okay. So, yeah, given between the two. MIT is the more impressive one, <laughs> if I'm being honest. And speaking of, I haven't checked in on SETI in a while. Yeah. SETI has, well, there's, there's the, that's the other thing that we wanted to talk about. Oh, I wonder, I'm just, I'm just clicking a couple of things here. Yeah. Um, because that's the other topic that I wanted to talk to you about. Okay. So we have this professor who is putting his life, his career on the line by publishing another book saying that this asteroid or comet that passed by a short while ago is most definitely an alien space probe. It's not unlike the Voyager probe that we had sent out a couple of decades ago. And that for, for reasons, they are interested in us. Right. I think that this is far more likely. Sometimes I believe this. Let me just be clear on this. I believe that this is, this is far more likely that they have, they are sending observational devices like a far more advanced Voyager probe to us than flying across the cosmos and abducting people and, and conducting experiments on them. Well, I mean, it depends on their, I mean, the nature of their civilization. We are, by looking at our history, a very bellicose and conflict-driven society. Our, our human nature is tends to be more of a violent and aggressive nature. So we can't therefore discount that any intelligent species may not also be more malevolent in nature as well. So, I mean, it's, it'd be, be a little disingenuous to assume that just because they're more advanced technologically than we are, that they have a, uh, more peaceful ulterior motives than we do. You know, I mean, think of it this way. Did the Aztecs and the Mayans, you know, if you were to ask them now about the likelihood of a, a new group coming to see them, if they were going mm -hmm. to assume they were peaceful or not, I'm pretty much going to say they're probably not going to assume they have peaceful intent. You know? Mm -hmm. So, whereas hope 
that any people, any newcomers to our little corner of space have peaceful intent, I think it would be folly to just assume that. You know, I'm kind of reminded of the movie Mars Attacks. <laughs> I got, I you know? <laughs> so, I mean, it's... Is it possible that an alien species that is highly intelligent would consider us to be nothing more than animals? Yes. Therefore, would they feel any moral reluctance to just simply take samples of our species and conduct experiments on them? Possibly not. Yeah. You know, uh, I like to think they wouldn't. <laughs> right. But there's a lot of people out there who are like convinced that no, no, that's what they do. They like the butt stuff for some reason. <laughs> so I'm not going to discount them in their experiences because I haven't had them and don't want them. And there's a little part of me that wonders, you know, if they're actually monitoring and if they figured out how we communicate. Because, hell, we've been broadcasting enough of our communications into space that it's possible that they have translated it. Yeah. I'm not going to take the chance that, you know, if I pick on them, they might not come knocking on my door and say, we want to do butt stuff to you. So, <laughs> so we, we want to punish <laughs> you by doing butt stuff to you because we heard you on your podcast making fun of us. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> That's not a chance I'm quite ready to take just yet. So. <laughs> and that's just just the hubris of us thinking that aliens are listening to our podcast. <laughs> hey, you know, I have it on good authority that we're very popular in Alpha Centauri. Just saying. <laughs> but I, I also think that it is amazing that the space nerd who. Oh, no, not, I got to I got to say it like this. The space nerd. <laughs> From high school who used to subscribe and read Omni magazine from cover to cover has lived long enough to see Proxama Centauri uh, make news headlines on all the major <laughs> news networks. Right. It's amazing um, to me. I mean, it just just on that alone. Right. Right. Also, as the comic geek in my high school seeing people going gaga over the characters and stories that they used to pick on me for when, right. I, when I was in high school. To me, I find that hilarious. It's like, yeah. oh, yeah, yeah. You know, comic books are, are just for kids. They're stupid. <laughs> no, Batman's awesome. Yeah, yeah. You say that now after blockbuster number three. Yeah, right, right. exactly. Where were you 15 years ago, you little right. Philistine <laughs> plebeian? Trying to flush your head down the toilet. That's what they that's what they were doing 15. <laughs> right? 15 sure, 30 now years it's ago. cool. Now it's now cool. it's cool. You yeah. just finally caught up to where I was at. Yeah. Way back when. Yeah. I, I think Curse. that it's a little discouraging though that um the articles that I've linked to on the show page for this episode, um, especially on the SETI website and space.com that they are saying that this signal was probably most likely interference from a satellite in high orbit that just oh. happened to pass um, between Earth and Proxima Centauri at the right time. It's probably don't, just... Don't you, think, 
don't you think part of that is just a knee-jerk reaction? Like, they have to say that? Yes, I do think that. I think that people are going to be studying uh, this signal that, that was recorded. Right. And, you know, it, it's funny because, like, in my mind, it's like you've got the guy or girl up there in the nice outfit talking to the press saying, this is just a confused signal of one of our satellites bouncing off of the Oumuamua um, asteroid as it went through our thing. But behind the scenes, there's like 17 people gathered in a room with computers frantically recording and replaying that signal and evaluating it, breaking it down into mathematical different computations to determine, is this an actual communication? Is it a random radio burst? Did it really come from the rings of Saturn and all that other kind of shit? Yeah. You know, like in one of those old science, those old science fiction movies that we used to love. Mm-hmm. You know, nothing to see here, people, nothing to see here. But we are going to spend seven billion dollars doing research on it. But there's nothing to see here. Right. Right. We're just we're just spending all of this time and effort on this project that's probably going to fail miserably for no reason at all. No, no yeah. reason. No reason at all. Yeah, just just look over there. Don't worry about it. Look, COVID. <laughs> uh, do you want to open up that that can of worms simultaneously? And this is the other thing that I think is very interesting. Right around the time of the um, not the election, but throughout all the um, controversy surrounding the contested election results which we will not talk about in this episode mm -hmm. yet again there was another document dump on uh the black vault website from the cia even more ufo documents from the cia are now public really i hadn't even heard of that well it's it's actually on the the group page that i'm scrolling through I didn't see that. How come I didn't see that? Um, if you go to the paranormal post and you scroll down, it's after the one where astrophysicists say that it's likely you can travel through wormholes, strange and unusual UFO sightings in Wisconsin. Look up at the sky this week and you could easily find Uranus. <laughs> <laughs> I know. <laughs> See, the thing is, I tried to skip past that. <laughs> Armed alien near Curiosity Rover raises questions. We'll get to that in a second. UFO yeah. documents released by CIA are, quote, real-life X-Files, expert says. Uh, See, so I got distracted by Robert Bigelow and Skinwalker Ranch. And look at that. It's not like it's being published on any one of the mainstream media. It's only Fox News. Right. And a British investigator said there are some fascinating documents in the files. Right. Oh, holy shit. Yep. A lot of it is redacted, though. That's the other thing. And we can thank the Black Vault for this. Yeah. They they caused a lot of... Um, they got a lot of attention earlier this month. Damn. Now, this coincides with the book written by Dan Wright 
the CIA UFO papers, 50 years of government secrets and cover-ups, which I think is a phenomenal book. I have the audible version, and this is one of those, um, it's chapter by chapter. Each chapter has a different case that somehow that they were able to get a hold of. So, so, and just to read this little blurb from Amazon, here are the secret CIA papers that prove the government has been tracking UFOs and extraterrestrials for over 50 years. In the autumn of 2016, the CIA sent to its website a cache of electronic files previously released on the Freedom of Information Act, but housed at the National Archives. Among are a variety of subjects were unidentified flying objects. Finally, a stockpile of reports and correspondences were, avail were available for some serious UFO researchers to examine at home. And it goes on to say, the book consists of sections of those secret files. Dan Wright has spent 18 months selecting, editing, and organizing the 550 files that are relevant to UFO research and has produced a chronological collection of CIA documents spanning from 1949 to 2000. Each chapter focuses on a particular year. A summary of the... Now, yep. it, one would think that the CIA, if they were doing a data dump, um, would probably have things organized in some fashion on their own, right? So yes. like this is where I start going into conspiracy theory realm, right? So if you, like, I can't imagine an organization like the CAA is overly happily, happy with the uh, FOIA process right. and the fact that it exists, Yeah. right? They are the secret keepers. That's their job. That's what they do. That's the reason for existing. So I can't imagine that them knowing that any schmuck can ask for their files <clears throat> as long as pertaining to something not too recent, I imagine they're not very happy with that concept. So them doing a data dump like this in a disorganized fashion with a lot of it heavily redacted is them saying, okay, only the hardcore screwballs are going to be able to sort through this to get at what we already know. And they're not going to be taken seriously. You know, the problem is a lot of those screwballs that people didn't used to take serious are now being taken seriously. Yeah. You know, when you've, you've had people from the department of the Navy going on mainstream news and showing videos of pilots of in the Navy kind of playing with UFOs. Yeah. Those screwballs don't look so screwy anymore. No, not at all. So, so, um, what's special about what's on the Black Vault is that John Greenwald Jr. has made all of these documents that he has received through FOIA searchable PDF files that people like you and I can just go through and say, oh my God, we can do an entire episode about this. That's fantastic. Um, so the conversation that I want to have with you is mm -hmm. pretty simply this. Is this because our grandfather's generation is unfortunately 
dying out and our father's generation and our generation is starting to take over these agencies. And we are the ones who are saying it's time for us to slowly disclose what happened. And this is how we're going to do it. Because one of the things that we have spoken about in an earlier episode is that lawmakers on both sides of the aisles are sneaking in extraterrestrial pork, I like to call it for the time being, <laughs> um, into all sorts of bills. I'm going to read this from wearechange.org. This release comes less than six months before the government official officials UFO report that was inserted into the COVID-19 omnibus bill that includes reports that date back to the 1980s, according to Greenwald, who scanned everything by hand in order to create searchable PDFs. Around 20 years ago, I had fought for years to get additional UFO records released from the CIA, he told Motherboard in an email. It was like pulling teeth. I went around and around with them trying to do so, finally achieving it. I received a large box of a couple thousand pages and I had to scan them in one at a time. That's pretty huge. Yeah. Uh, also, this conti continues, quote, researchers and curious minds alike prefer simplicity and accessibility when they look for, when they look at a data dump such as these, said Greenwald, adding, the CIA made it incredibly difficult to use their records in a reasonable manner. They offer a format that is very outdated, multi-page TIFF, and other text file outputs, largely unusable, that I think that they intended to have people use as a, quote, search tool. In my opinion, this outdated format makes it very difficult for people to see the documents and use them for any research purposes. True. Now that's what agree with him on that. that's that's that gets back to this book by Dan Wright is that they will just give you this document dump. And this is perfectly illustrated in Black Waters, which is something we also talked about in an earlier episode. OK. Mm -hmm. Oh, OK. You want disclosure? You want all the files? We'll give you all the files. And that they will give researchers all kinds of crap and in the crap are the little important little nuggets like when, like when there was a, another document dump that the cia put online and we looked at it all it all that was was just scans and prints out, printouts of other people's work yep and they had they had said okay oh you want all the documents you have okay well here's all the, all the old fo photocopies of articles that were in omni magazine for example right and oh and, and um and you don't think that this is everything you don't think that this is like we're still holding back that's what they do they make it impossible for people like us to do research because i mean the last time i checked you have a full-time job right yep I have a full-time job. I do this because I enjoy it. Right. So they, 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 they just make it as hard as they possibly can. And it's, it's frustrating, but at the same time, there's a part, I mean, he even in the article there on Fox News, um, Nick Pope there, 
He says there is a certain, where the hell is it? There is an irony in the UFO committee expecting to find a smoking gun in material released by an organization they believe is part of the cover-up. So he's absolutely right about that. But at the same time, if they're the ones doing the cover-up, they're the ones that have the information. Mm -hmm. And so while there is this sort of delicious little irony to it, it's logical. There is a logic to it that, you know, if you're the one hiding the information, that means you have the information. So, yeah, you've got to kind of rely on them pulling their heads out of their ass or however you want to put it. But what's interesting to me is what you touched on earlier when you said, is it is it the older generation or is it, um, you know, or is it is it that the older generation is is um, passing on? And that now that the younger generations are in charge of it, that they're more willing to to share that information. And I think, yes, but I don't think for any malevolent reasons. I think for the most part, we as a society are more open to the idea that there is intelligent life out there in space. Right. We we've grown up on Star Wars. We've grown up right. on, you know, the X-Files and all this other shit. So there is, to my way of thinking anyway, a very valid argument to be made that we're better prepared for that concept than perhaps the older generations were. And again, it's not to denigrate the older generations in any way. It's, it's just something new is very difficult to accept. And if you're exposed to it in a harmless manner, like, say, through fantasy stories and movies, then it's easier to accept the reality of it because it's like, oh, my God, they were right. They were right. Kind of. Yeah. Not really the same. But you have that expansion of of world belief through those fictional stories that. Let's face it, the older generations largely didn't have. I mean, you look back on some of the authors of early speculative fiction like H.P. Lovecraft or Robert E. Howard. They were fixated mostly on like fantasy and horror stories, right? Science fiction as a genre didn't even exist until really the 50s. And by then, the older generation... That was beyond their scope. You know, those sort of speculative fiction type stories are going to appeal to a younger audience more often than an older audience. And of course, there was members of the older generation that had an interest in it or were fascinated by those stories. And they probably were viewing them as what a wild imagination this guy's got or this girl's got. Yeah. But still, now that it's out there, now that it's now that that concept of an alien race, an intelligent alien race, whether malevolent or benevolent, that concept is out there. It's in the social consciousness, and therefore it becomes more socially acceptable. So I, I do think the older generation dying off has something to do with it, but I think it's more because they didn't want to be thought of as crackpots. You know, I'm sure there was a lot of people in that generation who saw things that were like, no one's going to believe me. Right. I, I'm not I ain't saying shit. No one's gonna, no one would believe me if I told anybody this. Now, that is not so much of a concern. People yeah. will believe them. Yeah. 
So it's more acceptable for us, for our society, to have that information out there. One thing you and I have talked about numerous times is the timing. Why now? Why did they bring it up during the whole COVID thing and all of that? Oh, that well, is... what, what better time to bring it up than everybody has their mind on something else that's far more serious, that's far more um, pressing? Right. I, exactly. You, so that later yeah. on, if something were to happen, they can be like, you know, why didn't you tell us about this? We did. Yeah, we told you all about it. <laughs> you know, yeah, we didn't we didn't hide anything. We did massive data dumps on useless file form in useless file formats. How come you weren't looking it up? Exactly. I think the other aspect of this, and this is a special shout out to one of our listeners, Shane, is that. He and I had a conversation, and I'm not going to get too far into this, but it, it, it's the concept of the older generation passing away, and they have nothing to lose. Like, what's the, what's, what's the worst that's going to happen? They're, they're, they're passing away anyway. Like, there's, there's nothing you can, you can do to them because they're passing away of of just old age or cancer or, or whatever, whatnot. And it was just like someone's attitude, like my dad's attitude is just like, well, how are they freaking, how are they going to punish me? <laughs> how, how are they going to, um, how are they going to put me in jail for disclosing all of this information to my son when, I, when I'll be dead? Right. What What are you going to do? Punish me with a life sentence? Okay, I can do five, six years. Right. Well, there's also, um, like, if you've ever talked to someone who was served in World War II, I remember growing up on stories of World War II from my grandfather who was a submariner. And I remember talking to him when I was first in the Coast Guard. And it's different because now it's a veteran talking to a veteran, you know? Yeah. So the, the, the stories, I mean, when, you were, when he was talking to us as younger children, the stories were mostly adventure-type stories that he told us. But then as an adult, it was more along the lines of, yeah, that I've been in situations similar to that or I've been in dangerous situations so I can more clearly imagine what it must have felt like to be in that circumstance. And then it it's not so fun adventure. It's more, well, shit, that's scary as fuck. Right. Right. And then as my grandfather got older towards the end of his life, there was a lot of regret his stories that he talked about. He talked about things that were, that were darker. Like they sunk a, they sunk a Japanese kick, a troop carrier ship. Um, somewhere off the coast of Australia. I don't exactly remember where. And he remembers hearing the men in the water screaming as they were being attacked by sharks. And I remember him saying that it's a sound that will never leave him, is the yeah. phrase he used. You know? So there is, you know, there's, how long did he carry that? How long did he have that in his mind as he went through his life? Wondering if anyone would understand what he's talking about, you know? So now to 
bring that into what we're talking about, our current topic, you kind of wonder how many of those people like in World War II or in the 1950s immediately after World War II, that generation that's dying off, how many of them saw something, you know, like, like Buzz Aldrin, his yeah. reaction when people say you didn't land on the moon can be rather volatile. Oh, yeah. And deservedly so, you know. Um, but also some of the other astronauts that have been to the moon later on in life were actually talking about seeing structures. Like, yeah. um, was it was it Collins that went around? Michael Collins? Michael Collins. Who went around the dark side of the moon. He was the first guy around the dark side of the moon. No, one of the first. I, it was, um, of- there were, there were, um, I think it was like uh, Jim Lovell in one of the early Apollo missions was, that's a funny question. First, first man to see the dark side of the moon or the yeah. far side. Well, the, the, the point is though, is they reported seeing things on that side of the moon. Now it could have been, you know, something that they saw that they, in their minds, they made it into some sort of structure because our minds have to try and grasp something within parameters that we can understand. But now you wonder, was it, did they really see something or was it their mind playing tricks on, you know, like one of the things that's on the paranormal post page is an armed alien on, in the, uh, on near the curiosity rover. Right. Yeah. When you look at it in the picture on the left, it looks like a pile of fucking rocks, right? But then their enhanced picture, it looks like an alien, right? It looks like some sort of alien creature wearing a circa 1950s sci-fi flight jacket. Right. You know, that to me is more us seeing something that isn't there. That's what it looks like to me. But what exactly did, I mean, there's maybe what it, dozen people that have seen the dark side of the moon less than that talk about i mean talk about an exclusive club you've got the people who've been on the moon then you've got the people who have seen the dark side of the moon and the latter is the smaller group right we see when we see the dark side of the moon what we really mean is the far side the far of the side. moon yes yeah because it's a geosynchronous rotation and by the way it's william anders who is the first one to see the uh, the other side of the moon the far side of the moon on apollo 8 in 1968 right he, he was the first Chris collins was when they was when um uh, Armstrong walked on the moon. Right. With yeah, when 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 uh, Neil and Buzz were on the walking on the moon, he was orbiting the moon in the Columbia capsule or the right. uh, not the capsule, but the yeah, whatever you call it. Yeah, no, the yeah. capsule. We'll just call it the capsule. Uh, I because one of the other things, and I, I I'm I'm going to be purposefully vague because I have to save this for later. There are okay. those of us who are starting to find each other whose parents were in some kind of clandestine operation and we're, we're, we're chit-chatting and we're sort of like starting to compare notes mm-hmm. and that thanks to social media, there is more and more of this, more people who are sort of like piecing things together and trying to figure out what what exactly happened decades ago and why all the secrecy why are all these eh, not just secrecy but strange coincidences as it were 
And I do think that the older generations are, are scared and terrified about, of us and what we are going to think about them. I honestly, sincerely believe that one of the reasons why my dad was not, quote, normal, as it were, is because he was a part of something that's hard to explain and hard to define. I would even go so far as saying that something happened between 1954 and 1974 that changed him, that he went from um, being a bit of a spoiled brat growing up in the outskirts of Chicago and Minneapolis to somebody who ran away to the army because he wanted a life full of adventure and didn't want to conform to um, suburbia. Something happened to my dad when he was in the military that completely, totally changed him. And, and not in a good way. Mm-hmm. I think that he saw something and he did something that he could not talk to me about. And I think it made him a little crazy. Well, I would, I would say he may have seen or done something that he couldn't talk to anyone about. Right. I mean, not talk, not being able to talk about it to like your son would be something that's difficult to deal with. But how much more difficult is it if you can't talk to anyone right. about it? There's no one you can talk to. Even, to some extent, other veterans, because everyone's experience in the military is different, right? Yes. Some people, it was boring. Some people hated it. Some people loved it. Uh, some people are scarred forever by it. And other people are just fucking fine. Right. So everyone's experience with pretty much everything is unique to them because it's predicated, to some extent, on their, their own life experiences prior to that. Right. You know, um, so I can't imagine if he had seen something or done something as part of his time in service that he just literally could not talk to anyone about. It's not something he could share to anybody, even other veterans, because the more unique your experience, the less people there are. I mean, like, for example, the people who have seen the far side of the moon, you know, do they have like a reunion every three years that they go to and they're like, yeah, I remember I saw that crater. You know what I mean? Yeah. And if you're part of a larger group and you've had smaller experiences, like you can always tell when you're when a group of veterans are together, you can always tell the people who are in special forces. They have a lot of sad smiles and not a lot of talking. I'll talk a lot about shit that I've done in the Coast Guard because most of it is mostly adventurous and sometimes scary. I've never shot anyone. You know, I've never been, well, I've been shot at, but that wasn't in the Coast Guard. But it's a different, different experience than like someone who was in special forces would have gone through. And you can always tell who they are. You can always see them because they're more reluctant to talk, you know? Yeah. And I've seen, I mean, the VFW, I've seen 
people talking to each other and you know you go over and you say hi and they're friendly enough people but at the same time you know the topic of conversation has changed yeah the topic of conversation has changed because of you and right. you you just by no fault of your own right you, exactly um when my dad and I, I, I yeah. wouldn't understand what what they're talking about because I haven't gone through right it. you know it's just like veterans can always find each other in a group those veterans who have seen let's say we'll phrase it as the darker side of things yeah they also can find each other in a group yeah you know so it's I wonder like especially if you're talking about people who possibly work with intelligence agencies which is Special forces are usually the people that are get drawn, that get pulled from to or asked to join intelligence agencies. And I wonder if there's something even more, for lack of a better term, exclusive about yeah, that. Yeah. You know, and you've told me a little bit, and like you said, we'll talk about this in a later episode, but I do wonder about that. Is there what commonalities are there for people who have been have given that sort of service to the country you know and you always see lines in in movies like i've done horrible things in, in the name of god and country you know you wonder how much of that is true and then how do they live with themselves and as they get older how does that impact them both in personality and in relationships yeah like i can't imagine i can't imagine my grandfather my pepe talking to my meme his wife about some of the things that he spoke to me about right you know and, and part of that is is the chauvinism of the time part of that is how is she, how is she going to understand the impact of this she didn't see it which is not to say that she couldn't have it's what is she going to think of me after she learns about this you know, like you said, they're afraid of us finding out what they've done or what's gone on. And I think that's a very, very real thing. It's also part of the human experience. I know you and I have had conversations where, let's be honest, if you didn't know I had experienced some weird shit, you probably wouldn't have told me. Yeah. You know, and I'm just an idiot. I'll blabber to anybody about anything. So, um, I, I do wonder about that, like people in our parents' generation and certainly in our grandparents' generations. What were they holding on to that they felt they couldn't share with anybody? My father because, had. Yeah. My father had this emotional breakdown when we were driving across country. One of the first times we drove across the country when we were sleeping in our van in a parking lot. I believe it was the Frontier Casino, and he just started bawling. And he and if I knew what he did, I would run away from him as fast as possible. This is this is in autumn of 1989, and and I was sort of playing this kind of guessing game with him while he was crying, like hysterically. Yeah. And it turned out it's something that he did when he was in the army or the ASA or the NSA or, or, yeah. or whatever, or whatever he was, he was doing. 
and um, it what he did something horrible that he's never been able to forgive himself. And that's as far as we I was able to get out of him. And the other aspect of all of this is that he had never talked to any other of my siblings or half siblings about this. And, yeah. and, my, and my dad made me make promises to him. For when he died, he said, I want you to do this, this, and the other thing. And the rest of my family members, including including my brother and sister, including my three half-brothers, they think I'm fucking crazy. They think I'm mentally ill. Because dad said this and dad said that. Dad asked me to do this after he passed away. And maybe this is getting a little too personal because of my relationship with my father and the things that my father quote made me believe unquote i'm not invited to family reunions anymore i'm not related to family gatherings anymore i wasn't invited to my niece's wedding because of because of my relationship with my dad and the things that i'm quote made to believe unquote and the things that I was told to do after he passed away. My brother and I had this big, huge fallout <laughs> over, over text a day or two after my dad passed away, basically saying he never wants to talk to me again. Um, when, my, when my aunt comes up from Arizona, I don't hear about her coming up until after she's come and gone she doesn't she doesn't talk to me anymore i have members of my family that will never talk to me for various reasons a lot of it has to do with the fact that my my dad has me believing certain things my and my relationship with members of my family is ruined because i have a podcast talking about the paranormal and I use this as an opportunity to piece together things in my life. My dad told me things that I'm still trying to process. And other people are coming to me and saying their dad told them things that they're having a hard time processing. And they're not able to have a relationship with the rest of their family because of all of this. This is not, this is not a unique phenomenon to me. Yeah. The reason why I'm not allowed to go <laughs> and visit with my family members is because I do a podcast talking about little green men and other, 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 <laughs> the, the podcast is not the only reason, but it's a huge part of it. And seeing this data dump that's been put on the black vault and the black vault made it searchable. Um, and reading news stories about, hey, listen, we, we've received this weird signal from Proxima Centauri. Chances are it's just one of our satellites, but we think it still might be from Proxima Centauri. The jury is still out. Um, and that I get these little tiny little nuggets of validation and vindication, but I still wasn't invited to my mom's 70th birthday party. Yeah. Which is just a shit thing. Yeah. But um, you wonder now extrapolate that, 
right? That's your personal experience based on yeah. information your father shared with you. Right. What must it have been like for him? Oh, he's not able to right? go to he's not able to go to his son's wedding because he might do something. He might do whatever something. Whatever that something is. Right. Or say something, trademark. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's... You wonder what it must be like to go through life like that. You know, where you can't... Even if you did share with someone, are they going to even believe you? Right. You know? Um, I, I feel... I honestly, I feel bad for people like that. Like... It took you and your dad living together in various places around the country in a fucking van to get to that level of bond where he felt he could trust you enough to tell you those things, right? Yeah. That's a rather extreme test, if you will, to go through a unique bonding experience, a rather extreme bonding experience to go through with a parent just so that they feel they can trust you with something. And now... It's affected your relationships, but now there's a part of you that kind of sympathizes with your dad on how it affected his relationships. Right. And I mean, some of the comments that you've said your dad has made make more sense now that we know that little snippet of information about him, right? Right. The way he reacted to people. Oh, they're such idiots. They don't know what's really going on. Yeah. <clears throat> like here, like here's here's an here, less of a crackpot look, now. He, here's here's a here's a crazy question. Mm -hmm. Why would you be so angry watching a TV show like The X Files that makes you so freaking angry you have to put a coffee cup through the picture tube and then go get your son a brand new TV the next day? What would make you so angry at a stupid TV show? That would make you commit such an act of violence against an inanimate object like that. Well, that's a good question. What would what think about now? Seriously, think about that. Don't think about that as like an outraged person who, you know, their dad broke their fucking TV because he's a maniac. Think about it as what would have to have happened for you personally to respond that strongly to something that is science fiction. Yeah. You know, what what would have to have happened How to generate that strong of a reaction in general and then more specifically to get that violent about it? I don't know. I'm generally not a violent person. There's a lot of things that had occurred and <clears throat> and reading about all of these data dumps makes me proud, angry and sad and furious all at the same time. It's a mixed bag of emotions. Mm -hmm. um, and what do I do? Do I talk to a therapist and, and have, <laughs> have another therapist quit on me because I don't make any sense. I shouldn't, my, my mental state shouldn't exist because this is not normal. I mean, nothing makes sense. If you've been through all these traumatic experiences, how come you're not in in a, in a sane asylum or in a prison somewhere? And maybe we right. should, maybe we should have you committed. And it was yeah, but but at the same time, I mean, 
you and I have talked after some of those, some of those situations have happened. And the truth of the matter is they can't have you committed unless you're a danger and you're not a danger. You're seeking help. Right. So the fact that they can't reconcile the fact that you're seeking help with what they understand how the human psyche works. Yeah. That's on them, not you. Yeah. You know, and it's, I, I can't, I've, I've told a little, some people I know a little bit about what I know of your history and uh, I don't use your name, but, uh, and they're like, Oh wow. What prison is he in? (laughs) It's in Ringe, New Hampshire. It's a little small thing, (laughs) you know, but the truth of the matter is you've gone through some shit as a result of your dad. So, what could have possibly happened to your dad to make him like that? Right. And now you're finding out it's not unique to your dad. It's not that your dad is a fucking psychopath. I mean, let's not throw that out with the, the right. water immediately. But right. it's not just that. There's something else that your father has seen, done, whatever, that he struggled to deal with throughout his entire life. Yeah. You know, and now we've got people, I mean, I could, I could imagine if you've seen, if I had seen some really nasty shit, you know, and then it horrified me, it it scarred me for life. And then you see all these people clamoring and trying to get a hold of that information. I imagine I would, I would be pretty concerned for their sanity. You know, I'd be like, what are you fucking out of your mind? Yeah, I've seen aliens. You know what? You better pray to God you never see a fucking alien. You know what I mean? Yeah. Or, you know, seeing a television show where they're almost glorifying the experience. And, you know, I I could see a rather strong reaction happening. You know, I mean, there are times when, like, I can't watch any, any movies about, like, possession. For example, um, I can't because of my personal experiences. I, I can't. I have a hard time watching movies or television shows. Like the Ghostbusters, to me, is 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 different. And I understand it's comedy and everything, but yeah, there's there's more going on than people want to admit or recognize. And so I get that to a, to a very minor extent. I, I understand that, but I'm I'm still not going to throw a coffee cup had a damn television, you know, but I couldn't, you know, I could understand him having a strong reaction. Like why the hell? What? No, that no. I mean, even to some extent, like I have a hard time watching movies that take, take place at seas where the, where the oceans are really rough because for the most part, it's an artist's perception of this must be what a huge wave looks like. And I'm like, nope, doesn't look anything like that. You know, I actually, <laughs> We were watching Perfect Storm on, on uh, at my parents' house, and I actually got up and left the room. I was yeah. like, yeah, I can't watch this. They're like, why? What's wrong? Is it bringing back bad memories? And I'm like, no, that's not what those waves look like. Yeah. You know, and my brother, who was in the Navy, was like, how do you know what, what a big wave looks like? I'm like, because I've seen them. You know, and it – so I get the whole calling bullshit thing. Um but still, my reactions aren't ex- as extreme as your your dad's were. So you, you do kind of wonder, you know, what the fuck the hell did happen? 
What has he seen? Why why would you why would you why would you act like that? Why would you behave like that? Why would you do right. that? That's that's some scary stuff. And and to be in the room when it happens, to be in the room when that happens is completely totally terrifying. Well, yeah. I mean, we watch TV to relax, to wind down. I mean, they've done all these studies on how if you're watching um, like SpongeBob SquarePants, your IQ is literally dropping the more you watch it. So for us, it's a very passive activity. And then someone explodes in violence and starts throwing shit. That has to be extremely disturbing. Yeah. You know, what is it about that passive activity of watching a television that made, yeah. made my dad blow up? Yeah. You know? And I don't know if Carol was there or not, but. No, no, this is this is uh, before I met Carol. Yeah, so we like I mean, in, yeah, we were in we were in my apartment in Air, Massachusetts, when that happened, and it was just like, apparently, people like in the neighboring houses could hear it, and it was just like, you know, yeah. no, no, to no, no reason to call the police. Well, everything's fine. My dad's just having an episode. Everything's fine. Everything's good. We're all right here. How are you? <laughs> no, don't come down here. We've got a dangerous uh, radiac radi radiation leak. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I I hardly ever know how to explain this to people. And it was the conversation people you know have with me is like, oh, what got you in interested in the paranormal? <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> Hold on to your seat, Buttercup, because this is going to be a wild ride. <laughs> you know what? Here, listen to Ariel Cooksley's episode that she did, um, uh, podcast on the pod. Um, listen, listen to listen to me talk about this for three hours. That's the best therapy session I never paid for. Um, but it, it was, uh, I I do need to sort of wrap this up and sort of put a yep. pin in this because there are some people who are starting to reach out to me and tell me versions of their story. The th what makes them, I think maybe unique is the wrong word, but makes them different from me is that they don't want to talk about it. They just want to um, commiserate with me. And they, right. ask for, and they ask for nothing in return. Well, they, they want to feel like they're not crazy. Yeah. I, you know, I, they want to, they want to, they want to have someone else say, yeah, I identify with you. I right. get it. Right. I don't want the fringe benefits that comes from being a famous podcast personality like you, Eric. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I actually like going to my, my, my parents' birthday parties and being invited over for Thanksgiving. And, <laughs> you know, uh, I really don't like it when my when my family calls the cops on me or yeah says I need to be committed. Right, I, that's 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 not fun, you know. Uh, no family member has ever called the cops on me yet over any of this, but it's it's just to the point where it was just like things. I think that the paradigm, as it were, has changed to the extent where people are more willing to talk about this. There is still the ridicule factor, but that's slowly changing and evolving over time. More people are willing to say, yes, this, this was my experience. 
yes, this is what happened to me. And I think that we have people like uh, Harvard professor John Mack to talk about this and say, yeah, there is, there's something to this. Right. And we have the, the children of ves, uh, veterans of clandestine operations who are saying, yes, this, is, this has been my experience. And their experience echoes mine to such a, a, a huge extent. Whereas I have to stop and think, is like, is this real? This can't be happening. And as we progress over time and more and more people come out and say, this is what happened. And here's the thing, I'm being purposely vague. So somebody, when somebody tells me something, they didn't, they, when they share something with me that's similar to what I went through, there's some little breadcrumbs that they're, they're, they're leaving that they found on their own. They didn't hear it from my podcast. You know what I mean? Right. Yep. No, I know exactly what you mean. Which is in and of itself a little fucked up that you have to do that. You know, but there are people who want to, who, I don't, I don't get it. They're, they're looking for that connection. They get so desperate. They, they make shit up. Right. And then don't see how that's detrimental to what it is they're trying to accomplish. This is, and this is probably one of the most, um, probably one of the most important things that ever happened to me. And I don't even have all the answers. But having people come forward and saying, this has been my experience, that, and this is how it's similar to yours, is very profound. And it's very, um, it's also sort of rocking my foundation because um, it was actually comforting to wonder if whether or not I'm a little crazy. And maybe that, because I had some plausible deniability for a while. Maybe this is just my dad keeping me on the hook and stringing me along so that he would always have a place to go if things got really bad or, um, I mean that you can't discount that as right. a possibility, but at the same time, hearing more from other people who had similar experiences with their parents who were involved in that aspect of the world, um, seems to me that whereas that may have been part of it, that wasn't the sole motivation. No. no, like if we just move across the country one more time, I'll tell you a little more. Right. After I die, you'll be able to get all the you'll you'll inherit all of the junk that I have collected over the years. And you'll be able to find all the stuff that I all the proof I said that I had. Well, now that proof is gone <laughs> for reasons that, you know, I can't get into right now, but it just sort of like. I have a hard time believing that this is happening to me. Does that make any sense? No, it, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. It's funny how we talk about this and we're talking about in relation to like, you know, your father and what he went through and how it's impacting you. But now you kind of wonder how is it we as fathers are affecting our children too? Yeah. You know, um, what sort of, things have I subjected my children to or what sort of ways have I inspired my children? Because let's be honest, not all of your experiences with your father were negative. Oh yeah, absolutely. There are things that I, you know, I mean, and, and I'm saying this in part to remind you, but also to remind the, you know, the people listening that 
it is very possible that you have a father that has positive and negative impact on you, you know, that you just don't, nothing in life, very, very little in life is extremely one-sided. You know, your father also developed your interest in sound quality and technology and expanding your creative horizons, as well as opening up your mind to the concept of things that exist outside of the normal normal socially acceptable paradigm you know if it wasn't for your dad you probably would not have the interest in the paranormal no you know and and conspiracy theories so and conspiracies <laughs> government conspiracies and cover-ups <laughs> right because I, the the phrase conspiracy theory has worth and conspiracy theories and conspiracy theorists have been so maligned you know you have to distance right. yourself now from that so yeah it's 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 been an, a, a very important uh week for me at least and um again there's just so many things that we have on the table that we were going to get to and for some reason this topic came up um and as my as my therapist would often say um i'm sorry eric but your hour is up <laughs> Congratulations on surviving another episode of the Thor Chronicles radio show. Find out more about the Fedora Chronicles by visiting our website, thefedorachronicles.com. That's where you can find our show notes, past episodes, and articles. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram by simply searching for us on those platforms. Don't forget to join our group on Facebook and follow us on Twitter so that you can keep up with what we will be talking about in the next episode. Facebook, Twitter, and our email address, fedorachronicle at google.com, are great ways to drop us a line with your comments and show topic suggestions. And if it's any good, we promise we will read your comment on the air. Support the show by contributing to our Patreon page, patreon.com slash fedorachronicles. For a mere dollar a month, you get early access to the podcast, updates on what we're doing, and for $5 a month, you get all that and a t-shirt and coffee mug of your choice. Terms and conditions apply. Thank you to all of our listeners who are already contributing. You can also support the show and show off your incredible, impeccable taste by buying our merch at zazzle.com slash store slash Fedora Chronicles. The theme songs for the show are Royal Flush and Black Cabaret by Olive Music. All other music on the show is listed on the show page and has been provided to us by Premium Beats from Shutterstock. Copyright The Fedora Chronicles 2020, all rights reserved. On behalf of my co-host Jason and I, this is Eric Renner-King-Fisk signing off and reminding you to keep your chins up and your fedoras on.